The content of CPR Unplugged is designed for entertainment purposes only and is not intended as mental health treatment or medical or mental health advice. Details such as names and locations may have been changed to protect individual privacy. Welcome to CPR Unplugged. My name is Jessica. Thank you for joining us. Today I am joined by Stella. She has very courageously decided to share her story with us. And I'm just, I'm thrilled to have you here, Stella. Thank you for joining us. I'm very happy to be part of this. Thank you. So first, I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself and then wherever you want to start your story is up to you. Okay, I'm going to start as I'm a young child. And in my day, I wasn't diagnosed, but I know that there was, you know, something in my um Thought, thought patterns or just uh, um, with life was not going well for me. So you knew as a child. Yeah, I did because I was, uh, uh, it, I, I knew I was off somewhere, you know, in my thinking, the direction I was going in with life, in reasoning with people, in school. So when you were a child, how was mental health um, perceived or, or was there treatment available? Well, with me, um, I was diagnosed because I have ADD and dyslexia, but it was not um, addressed at that time. I later in life, I went that route, but they had no idea how to how to accept me in in society with schooling and in in everyday life with with the way my illness affected me. They couldn't understand it. They just said that I was slow in my thinking, remedial in the schools and just not um, functioning as a normal child. What were some of the challenges you faced? Being teased, bullied, um, that was a lot of it. And being short as I was, I was two months premature as a child. And just uh, it, with my own family, my brothers and sisters just knew that, that I wasn't quite right. You know, they would make fun of me the way I ate or the way I saw things or said things. I, I remember going to see my aunt because she uh, was at a, a mental institution. We'd go visit her. And when we went there, um, I would say, oh, was I born there? You know, it wasn't like a normal uh, thing. that My brothers, man, they I really gave them fuel to the fire when I said that. Oh, of course you were born there. You know, being kind of naive. At, I was very naive and kind of... Uh, backwards. I don't know how else to explain that with with how what came out of my mouth or reasoning. So I knew I had some kind of social problem. Didn't know how to address it and my parents uh, certainly didn't address it because they didn't feel uh, that there was anything to adventure towards it. And even though I knew and I had problems with my schooling, with teachers, taking advantage of me, disciplining me when I didn't do anything wrong because I couldn't speak up for myself. And the bullying is what caused it. You know, disruptions in the classroom, the uh, kids would say it was me. So I just, you know, I couldn't stand up for myself. And that's one thing that I've been striving my whole life is trying to get to the next level of standing up for myself. And even as a child and an adult, it's, I'm, I'm having a struggle with it. When was the first time in your life that you sought treatment? Um, I sought treatment um, uh, in, in 1977, 76. I had a child. Um, I was pregnant with my fiancé, and he uh, deserted me. 
for the whole, for one reason or another. So I went to a psychiatrist then because I didn't want to face it alone. It really triggered my whole being as being pregnant, ashamed of it. Or, but anyways, the psychiatrist at the, at diagnosed me at the time with depression and didn't realize, uh, she didn't think that I would be capable from conversing with her on a you know weekly basis that I would be able to provide and take care of a child. So she advised me. It's a well-known hospital, but they did uh, uh, abortions there. And what was it like hearing that news from your doctor? Oh, it was horrible. Because uh, in the frame of mind, knowing that I was going, it, it, the onset, the depression was terrific. And had to face it, you know, for nine months by myself. And, and I had no um, encouragement from my family. I had no support. I had to go to facility with the government to help me get through it. And then after that, um, I even had established uh, her permanent uh, parents through my church. I had, All I had to do was sign the uh, lawyer's papers to have her... Um, taken care of because I, I felt that nobody was on my side that I was feasible of taking care of a child and raising her in a normal home and providing her with the things that she needed. So you had your baby and, and uh, placed her for adoption? Well, I didn't sign the papers. I saw her little face and it was like the happiest thing I ever, It just from being sad for nine months and you see the miracle of birth, it was wonderful. And in my heart, I knew I prayed, you know, with having faith, which has got me through, I knew that I, that I could take this adventure on myself and do the best I could, and then I knew how. I can just see in your face, you just, you're beaming right now. I mean, it was, it was like a miracle. It was like, even though I went through a sadness before it, the miracle of life, of seeing her little face and knowing that I'm going to share myself with her the, till she's raised, you know. And it was such a great, great experience. Even though with the depression I had, I plugged through it. So tell me about that, the adventures of motherhood and, and how also the depression kind of... Well, it kind of onsided because I knew I had to be strong for her. I kind of put it on the back burner. I knew that I had to be responsible and be the best mother that I could with no experience and I sailed through it I did everything my whole life was dedicated to her because of the love I had for her and I and I that that was the most important thing of raising her till she was 18 years old and you know on the college and that but then after she moved out and got married it just uh the depression just popped out and it, I've been not in good shape ever since because of uh, the loss of her father. He passed away when she was two and a half. Oh, wow. So that was another tragic thing that happened to me. And I had to go through an inquest because they believed that he, he was, someone had did something to him, you know, that he didn't take his own life, that someone had committed murder with him. So they had me, not as a suspect, but I had to go to the inquest and see him you know, pictures of him, and as soon as I saw that, it just was, it was like something turned off in my brain, and the depression was there till now. I have not moved on in my life as far as um, trying to get better, but I, I am on the right direction, and I'm so 
happy to be part of this organization because nobody touched on this before. Mm-hmm. So you went through some misdiagnoses, it sounds oh, like. a lot of years. It was frustrating because I knew what was wrong with me. I knew that, that even when I had sessions with them, that they weren't trying to address me in the right direction of what, what was causing my grief and sadness and depression and not be able to to move on in life, to get all those times out of my mind, like block it, but just, it's still there. So in the meantime, while you were searching for these answers and looking for this support and this help and and going through this, I can only imagine very difficult time. With no support from anybody else, because it was a stigma. Parents were embarrassed of it, you know, that your child, you know, had some kind of, they still are, I'm not treated equal. And I get frustrated. Because when I try to make sense to them, they go, nobody wants to agree with me. You know what I mean? They make you feel like, well, she's got issues, so we'll just forget it. You know what I mean? Don't give me a stand to to express my feelings because certainly they don't even want to know what's wrong with me. Totally. And my own daughter, sad to say, she's floated away in from my life too, and that hurts. It's like losing two people her dad and her. So that's where I stand right now in life. I'm trying to function and uh, get myself better. And, you know, I'm, I know I'm heading in the right direction, getting my, you know, everything on, on uh, reasoning and going through sessions. And, but I can't convince my daughter. She just doesn't, uh, it's, a, it's an issue with me that she even told me when I do call for my grandkids that she doesn't like me coming to her home. So it's like I one foot forward and one foot back with her. And I, I finally came to reality that I have to just let her go because she, she has been my severe being my whole life, that it's so hard, but I have to because we're not on the same page. And don't think even uh, I've had people talk to her. She doesn't want to converse with them about my issues. And it's sad because family should be involved and they should understand that, you know, they have not gone through what I have. And who's to say that that what I what I've gone through in their lives, like, oh, you can you can get better. There's that's nothing. You know, the way God's made us is different in our thinking. And I am stuck on say stupid, but I'm stuck on. I can't get that move on in life because of the loss of her dad that triggered it. And now the loss of her. I can tell from talking to you that you're very resilient. I'm very much. I have such a heart for her. I think about her and my grandkids. And I just want to to get through enormousy in my life that I could, you know, and the main thing is to stand up for myself because that's a real problem. And I'm kind of naive, very naive, and I can't tell people what I think. I can't tell them off. I don't like any kind of drama in my life. I just like, I'm perfectly, I'd say I'm kind of like a loner because I have no one, because I don't want to give them sad stories about my life. I don't have much to say because all my life I committed myself to her and working, and now that I'm retired. What's depression like for you? It's Nobody, I can't explain it. It's such a onset with me that it's a part of my brain that's, um, it's just there and it's not going anywhere. 
it's lodged there. And, you know, like coming out of a deep hole and you're peeping your head out and you're, you're almost there, you know. And I think, well, today I'm going to think better. I'm not going to think about depression, you know. And then it just it's such an onset with me that I, even with medication, self-medication, I don't feel that that's, you know, helping me get out of the, the, the whole depression feelings. And I know I'm not depressed about uh, ending my life or anything like that because people do. You get, and I have been in that standard because I, I, you get, it's a win lose situation because nobody wants to understand you. So sometimes you feel like you're better off. It, you know, I felt like I was better off not being here because I wouldn't be missed because nobody really cares to hear my story. How did you get? past that you said right now you're not at that point no I have been and there's and I have been institutionalized and I'm, that was the best thing for me because I have been close to you know a few times maybe four or five times of of trying to to let it end and it's an agony in your brain and people don't realize it you no know, until you walk you know until you walk in my shoes and feel the way I feel I just wish I could clear it out of my brain you know, and 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 just just let it go. And I'm trying to take steps right now to do that. If it takes leaving um, my daughter absence, it might be that. And and I don't want to be a loner, you know, with my family. But I don't know how to cure it with them. And that's the biggest thing. People just do not want to accept you. But I'm I'm focused very much focused in, in completing this task of getting to a satisfaction in life. That's what I need. Have there been times in your life where you felt that? I was satisfied coming here today because I wanted to share my story. So I was delighted when they asked me if I want to be part of this. And I'm so happy that you guys accepted me. I didn't have to be screened or have an IQ or <laughs> diagnosed. We definitely wanted to hear your story. I'm so happy to be part of this. I hope I touch people's lives that not to give up. It's a struggle. We know that. It's not cured overnight. And it's something you have, it's in your mind. You have to press on and, and stay with it, not just give up. So I know there's people listening to this right now that are nodding along. They're like, yes, she gets it. We, we feel you. You know, there's, there's people that are going to relate to your story. I hope that, I hope that opens doors for them. Because, you know, you have to have self-esteem, too. And I know that through the years, mine's kind of diminished. But you have to be happy with where you're going in life, that you're trying, you know, not, not to always be around negative people. I always want to have a positive approach to people, like pat me on the back. What a great day. You're doing, you look beautiful today. Because I'm very complimental. I tell people all the time how I think of them. I go to extremes with the younger generation. They're so tuned into that. And I, they, I, they look studious because they're like fumbling around with their computer or their phone. And that's okay, but put it away. Look around. What's helped you up to this point? Coming to these sessions with my, with my counselor. Yeah, she is so understanding and says the right things. And I'm group sessions. I'm looking forward to that. And that's because everyone tells their story. And, you know, everything's confidential. And you know what? You realize, wow, there is other people out there like me. 
And, and when you're around people that think like you and have sadness like you, depression, whatever your diagnosis, you're like a family because we all understand each other. What are some ways that you cope on a day-to-day basis? Um, I have faith and I know, you know that's totally up to you, a person, but I believe that a higher power is, is, is my conscience, you know, telling me I, it was... As a child, I was, you know, churchgoer. I still am. Tell me about what it's like to experience grief along with what you're you're already um, struggling with. It's a tough thing. It's a real tough thing. When um, my daughter's dad died tragically, that set in. It was an onset. And uh, ever since that, I can't even accept like my parents passing on my grandmother was real close to me she was the only one that understood me never put me down was always there for me even if I said things that didn't make any sense and you know you need somebody that has to understand you for you you know that's why I'm designed my parents had six children they didn't have time to to cater to me they just let it go out the door you know and but my grandmother really touched my life. And when she died, it was like I lost my best friend because I had no one else to communicate with. What advice would you give someone that might be struggling with similar things? I would love to be on a 24-hour watch line. I would. I mean, I think I, I see. I think outside the box sometimes. That's just the way my dyslexia is, my ADD. But I would give them wholeheartedly support. I would cry with them. I would take, if it took two hours on the phone with them, I would do it. Because I think to me that nothing's more important in this world just to live on. And with what all the tragedies that you've been through. And cope, just cope with it. You know, the best, it's better to cope with it than not to cope with it. Because you've got to be true to yourself. You gotta feel that in your heart you you have a purpose in life. That you're here for a reason. And I know God bless me as as far as talking to people. I'm on the transit system all the time. I I voice my I'm a talker, I'm sorry, but I do. I give them good advice. Oh you know, the bus drivers, I know everybody. And that's just me. That's my nature. I just would love to do that. And I always thought the social field that I think anyone that provides their services in that field, they're, they're just angels in my eyes because it's touched now more. It's more out there. And it's, it doesn't matter. Like I said, celebrities, your neighbors, that people coming back from war, you know, it's a PTSD. I think I was diagnosed with that too because of the tragic situation with my fiance. So I'm, that's just my gut feeling how I feel. And you bring up a good point. Mental health is it. We all have a brain. We all have emotions. Everyone is going to be touched by some sort of mental health. Right. And yeah, I think they said one out of five people, you know, have. And I think that it should be out in the open, just like uh, I know they do that with the soldiers with the PTSD. And that's a good thing because that's a part of mental. You know, there's there's a lot of things intertwined with mental illness. And I just wish um, in this next generation of the millennials that, you know, they're so busy in their computers and they don't even know what it is to, to live life because they're so inv- involved in their con- components. 
I get on the bus and everybody's on the phone. Nobody, nobody wants to look at somebody and say, boy, say a nice thing to your neighbor. It's true. Nobody has time. Plugged in all the time, right? And that's the, the one thread that I'm hearing through your whole story is the importance of genuine human connection. Yes, and that's what we're lacking. Nobody cares. If that I see people sleeping on benches and I come with a big cooler with me and I give water to the homeless. I have heart for them. I don't ask them why you why you were this way. I will give them advice if they need any help, where to go and stuff. But I give them. But nobody even cares about that. They'll walk over the guy if he's laying on the floor. They don't care. People don't have care and kindness for other people and compassion. So Stella, where are you at in your journey now? I know that I'm fulfilling my dream. I just know it in my gut that I'm gonna get there. I'm working, putting, it's like a jigsaw puzzle, putting the pieces together. I'm almost done. Well, I can tell you after talking with you today, first thing I'm going to do when I leave this room is give someone a compliment and find someone to hug. And I think you sharing your story today has been a blessing for many people. I hope I touched someone's heart today. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Got questions or ideas for the podcast? Or perhaps you have your own story to share. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara Lamontine, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 